Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zaffert. Can Holocaust survivors ever come to terms with the horrors that they have experienced? Dr. Tracy Farber has just completed her PhD and it focuses on the topic of integrity versus despair, the experience of traumatized child Holocaust survivors. In it, she explores the long-term impact that the Holocaust had on nine child survivors. uh, Dr. Farber, firstly, congratulations on your uh, PhD, amazing news. Please call me Tracy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well done. Thank you. I know it's been kind of quite an emotional journey for you, this PhD. Do you want to start and tell me how you got into it and what the personal journey for you has been in terms of writing it? Yes. Okay. So firstly to say I am Tracy Farber. I am the great-grandchild of Meryl Farber, um, who died in the, uh, in the fields of Lithuania together with my great-uncle, Yehuda. And I grew up as a child hearing from my grandfather, Dave Farber, about his loss, about how heartbroken he was that his mother died, and he was told after the war that she was buried alive. Mm. And I grew up hearing this thinking, well, actually, as I got older, like, how can this be? And then when I got old enough to understand, that was the horror of what he was told about how they were all shot um, outside in the forest and lie in, lay in unnamed graves. And I think the impact of being his grandchild and seeing the picture of my great-grandmother on the wall and hearing about her and my uncle. And then from the other side, I had a grandfather who also lost but he lost both his parents in Latvia. So I think that both his grandfathers had a huge impact on my life, and there was always a deep sense of the pain that they carried. They'd left Europe before the Holocaust, but obviously had ne- had, had an ongoing sense of grief for their, for their children, I mean for their parents that they'd lost. So you're basically a third-generation survivor. Well, no, I'm not, because my grandparents weren't survivors they 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 got they came out so technically you're a fourth generation te- yeah. technically i'm not at a uh i'm not part of the survivor lineage because there weren't anybody technically a survivor of the holocaust is somebody who was in europe at the time of the shoah so both my grandparents were in south africa at the time of the shoah so they lost their family but i think that all of us in some way carry the pain mm. of the shoah well i think that's what i'm going to is that we're already three generations down and we still carry that trauma yes is that why you chose the subject and chose psychology Um, and trauma (laughs) well Sharice it's it's I'm sure that having had these grandfathers who were both very wonderful people definitely influenced my choice to to choose studying the holocaust as and picking that as a as a phd topic um, and then I, I sat and listened to survivors and I was very interested. And, and I had a lot of help with very generous survivors who really shared their stories and a lot of generous people who've helped me along the way, including, including my professors who weren't Jewish. Okay. So let's look at your research. Um, you look at nine um, survivors who were children or young teenagers during yes. the Holocaust. Yes. And what are, what, how do, does someone, anyone, explain a trauma like that or come to terms or not come to terms with a trauma like that? 
Well, I think it's very overwhelming, and I think that what we try and put into words doesn't and can never describe the extent of the trauma. We try to because it's part of how we cope is to put words and to sit with feelings. And I think that we can't talk about their trauma without talking about their remarkable resilience, many of them. Many of them went on to build lives, to build families, to do amazing things in the world. And I think that that is part of the mystery that many of them went through the Holocaust, lost their families, and um, were, were kind of lived, lived with the pain and in spite of that managed to do the best that they could and build. And many of them we have met who continue to tell the story. Many don't tell the story. Um, yes. Obviously, um, what percentage, I don't even have to pay a question, but take their story to the grave with them. Well, what we understand about trauma is that sometimes trauma is unspeakable. And that for some of them, I don't know percentage-wise, but I know that for some of them, talking about it is too difficult. And so the the way that their defense mechanism works is to avoid the trauma altogether and to not speak about it. But obviously it comes out, um, you know, in, in, in some kinds of symptoms somewhere along the way. Because if you shut out pain, you also shut out joy. And so they they some of them remained quite emotionally Numbed. That was the cost of blocking out the trauma. And, you know, you can never imagine what somebody feels having experienced what has been the depth of, you know, man's inhumanity to man and, and the kind of trauma, especially as a young child, as those you spoke to. Um, to what extent can they come to terms with what happened? Well, what I spoke about in my research is the defense that a lot of them used was to compartmentalize it because they came out of the Holocaust and they were then faced with what it meant to cope in the world without parents, without siblings, overwhelming loss, and they had to go to new countries where they were immigrants, where often they didn't speak the language and they had to immigrate, and they had to focus on survival. And so what we know is that a lot of them compartmentalized the trauma and showed enormous resilience in building their lives. And we have some survivors who suffer really badly from PTSD and depression and others who cope extremely well and are very resilient. But what we know is that they all have long-term catastrophic grief for their loss and that the way that they kind of compartmentalize their trauma was a way of coping. But if you if you scratch beneath the surface, there is this unending pain that that they will talk about about their losses there was a um i've just read uh victor frankel's man's search for meaning and there's a there's a lot of beautiful parts in it but one of the beautiful parts is he, he says that people were saying if i don't survive this what will the meaning of this be and he says no you've got to look at the meaning of why is this happening or Similar. Do you know what I'm referring mm. to? Mm, mm, mm. Yes. Pe- do, to what extent do people look back and try and find meaning? To what extent should they try and find meaning? Well, this was one of the it was it was one of the side topics that I asked them, and it was very interesting because some of the more resilient survivors were very cynical about the meaning, and some of the very depressed survivors who had bad PTSD were able to find a sense of meaning. But I think the theme that emerged for all of them was that getting married and building families after the Holocaust gave them a huge sense of meaning, gave them a sense of a legacy, 
gave them a sense that Hitler wasn't able to destroy that 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 family line that they were able to to rebuild. Tracy, you spoke to nine different survivors, each with their own unique experiences. Did you get nine different unique conclusions, or are there underlying similarities? Okay, so I got nine very, very different stories, because what we know from a very famous um, psychoanalyst and Holocaust survivor named Hillel Klein, that every survivor is different because they all come from their family units where they had a mother and a father and they grew up in a community, and they had their own individual psychological profile. So at first I kind of looked at all their stories. The common theme that I found, some of the more common themes, were definitely terrible traumas that they witnessed in the concentration camps and the suffering that came after after that. Um, all of them had some PTSD symptoms, but of course there were some that suffered from 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 a large amount of the symptoms. The main theme that I got across the board was that of catastrophic grief. And that carried the grief for years and years and years, and it had an impact in their aging years. Um, the grief was really left them feeling very alone in the trauma. There was a terrible sense of existential aloneness, because even if they had built families and built businesses, etc., there was this internal loss that they carried, and they felt that even the people around them couldn't necessarily understand the depth of their pain and loss. Does the experience they have determine the extent of that catastrophic grief? In other words, if things were worse for them, are they more affected by grief? Or is it irrespective of what their experience was? Just, I mean, I can imagine. The, I can't actually imagine. No. <laughs> no, I don't think any of us can. Yeah. Um, but the the feeling of hopelessness that you, you describe, the feeling of um, feeling abandoned. Yes. Does it, is that determined by your experience or by who you are or by how you put the meaning on what happened afterwards, if you do put meaning on it? You know, I think that that feeling of abandonment and grief, um, that feeling of loss for one's family, that I found very much in the resilient survivors who had coped, who'd built up lives, etc., etc., and those who were suffering more from depression. So the catastrophic grief was, was across the board. What was the differential? What, what, what helped, what, 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 what differentiated the two groups was the coping mechanisms. The more resilient survivors were able to compartmentalize their grief. By that, I mean they were able to focus on living, focus on what they needed to do and have a parallel existence where they kept a lot of their internal pain inside and didn't really speak about it, but remained very functional on the outside world. Whereas the very depressed survivors who had very bad post-traumatic stress disorder were very unable to switch off from the trauma at all, and that spoke about it and it intruded into their focus. And what, what would determine which way you go? Is it a personality thing? Is it an upbringing thing? Is it how you transfer meaning after the fact? 
You know, there are two things that I want to highlight, and I want to say that although we studied, although I studied this in depth, and there were people who studied it before me, there is something of a mystery in how children manage to to to, to move out of such a huge catastrophe and build lives. The two things that I want to highlight, which I found to be important and were established by researchers before me, the first is the resilience that is built up in early life. We know that children who come, and that's, I looked at all of their early lives before the Holocaust, children that come from homes where they're attached, where there's a healthy sense of self and they feel loved and secure, builds up a sense of resilience. It doesn't mean that the suffering is less, mm. but they are more able to find hope and regenerate and, and move forward. The other thing that was very important was the community support after the Holocaust. Mm. And those that had a, a supportive experience were much more able to move forward resiliently. Those who struggled terribly had a harder time. So the adjustment and the support of the community that they were in after the Holocaust was also very important. Tracy, as a psychologist, those who are more depressed... Can you help them? Not you, but can they be helped well, at this stage? Well, you know, the thing is, it's it's can they be helped? Well, the research in Israel at the moment is looking at doing whatever they can, and right now they're finding that even psychotherapy or giving testimony at this stage helps. And we're talking about help in a relative way. We can never take away their pain. We can never take away their suffering. But we know that people who've been through the most terrible traumas suffer a terrible sense of aloneness and they need to, ha and it benefits them when their pain and their sadness is witnessed. And some of the best psychologists and psychiatrists who've been survivors themselves have said, also, you know, what survivors really need is to be heard and to be understood. Of course, we have to respect their choice if they don't want to talk, but this is something that we that that we need to to highlight the need of of suffering to be acknowledged and witnessed. Um, have you read the choice by Edith Edgar? You, yes. <laughs> what did you think of it? I liked it very much. I thought she was a hugely brave woman, and I think it was so important that she highlighted her own her own struggle with survivor guilt. And it seemed to me that her writing of the book was her way of finding some kind of redemption and 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 showing people that what that one does have a choice, that one doesn't have to continually punish oneself for an experience, and and that one has to that she saw that she was in a situation where she was put suddenly on the spot, and later on she could see that as a child she didn't really. You know, she was she was a victim of, of her circumstance. So I, I thought it was a very well written book. There's a, the two topics. Gosh, and I'm so conscious of the time. I feel like I should like, rattle them off quickly. But guilt, survivor guilt. Do all survivors have survivor guilt? Not all survivors. Some have it in different amounts. So I found in my study what I called a trauma trilogy, which was the three themes. That was catastrophic grief. It was anger. And it was survivor guilt. So everybody had some sense of catastrophic grief. Some people had more or less anger. And some people had more or less survivor guilt, depending on the, the circumstances that they went through. Um, gosh, I've got to make decisions on which questions I'm going to ask you. 
for yourself as a the PhD writing it and concluding it and your research kind of going on to help survivors has that brought you uh, a sense of conclu- um I don't know, closure well i just want to say quickly that it's for me it's been an enormously big privilege to be part of a community and to be able to build something for the a social service for the survivors um Jeffrey Shankman and his cousin Howard have been the main donors who have set up um, a, a social service within the Chev that now does outreach programs to try and, and help Holocaust survivors with psychosocial financial needs. And this has been a, the most rewarding thing for me and certainly something very important that the Chev has now built to try and reach survivors in the community. And I've worked with them to get this established as part of the recommendations of the research. So for me, that's been hugely important. And did you find closure? Have you found closure? No, no. I don't, I, I don't think don't. I don't think one can find closure in the sense that it obviously will always be something that will be a part of me, but it isn't my closure really. It's I see myself more as 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 as, as a researcher and 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 a storyteller. But I don't know if us Jews will ever have closure about something where we're seeing the repercussions. But rather than looking at closure, more the question is, what can we do as a community to make the world a better place? And? Well, I think that's something that we all need to look at because we'll never understand why the Holocaust happened. But when we see the suffering, then we're compelled to look at how we can work towards towards helping in the way that we can. Tracy, if anybody would like to get hold of you to, to maybe give talks or to contribute on topics at schools or just as a psychologist, is there any way that people can contact you? Would you like people to contact yes, sure, you? <laughs> sure, absolutely. They absolutely can. I've, I've started to run groups at schools about building resilience, so, and, and I would be very happy to speak about this. What is the best way for them to get my contact details if they phone? They can welcome to get it through me. They can send me an email. That's fine. If they send you an email, then um, then I'm very happy for you to give out my number. There's no problem. Okay, that's absolutely fine. Uh, we don't have time for more, though. I have a lot more very pressing questions. I'm sure other people do too. But if anybody is looking for Tracy Farber, that's Dr. Tracy Farber, um, I would be happy to share her contact details with you. You're just welcome to email me on sharice.sajvd.org. Dr. Farber, congratulations. And thank you, thank you for reading whatever it was that I sent you and being so pre- well prepared <laughs> for the interview. It's That's been a fascinating a topic. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you.